The Jadery Podcast, episode number 133, Helpful Compliance. Today on the Jay Doherty Podcast. The latest on coronavirus. With cases exceeding 2.3 million, the medical, political, and economic news remains important. I'll talk about what the president, the experts, the governors, and the world is doing to combat this pandemic as of recent, and how some of it may actually be working. Also, the 2020 race is quietly working its way back into the headlines these days. With Joe Biden being the only one alive to feasibly obtain the Democratic nomination, it makes the race a little bit simpler, but it also shows who's willing or unwilling to side with him, and that comes in the form of endorsements. Who is endorsing the former vice president, and how does that impact the way Democrats and the nation will view him? We'll answer all that and more in episode number 133 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Here's your host, Jay Doherty. That is correct, everyone. Thank you very much for being here. This is the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is episode number 133. It is Sunday, April 19th, 2024, 15 p.m. as we come on the air. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it is Sunday. Normally, we do broadcast and record on Saturday every week, but unfortunately, uh, I did not. I was unable to, with a bunch of other things that were going on, actually uh, get the show out on Sunday. Uh, Saturday. Normally, I you know, write the show on Friday, uh, Friday afternoons, Friday nights, and then record on Saturday, broadcast on Saturday, do all the post-production on Saturday. Uh, but I got the original writing and editing got pushed back to Saturday, which then pushed the show back to Sunday. But nonetheless, we will get the newsletter out. We'll get the show out. Everything will be fine. But I do apologize to those to a very small portion of our audience that does listen uh, on their in the mornings on, on Sunday and actually on the broadcast and on YouTube on Saturday. By the way, we are doing video for this episode. If you want to see the video, you can go to jay-dohrty.com slash 131. We have a very small audience on YouTube compared to the, the general podcast audience, but it is interesting because I've seen other uh, um, you know podcasts do video. It's sort of a low production. We just have a webcam and sync the audio afterwards. But if you do want to see it, you can go to jay-dohrty.com slash 133 for this episode. We'll begin with your coronavirus uh, update on this podcast. There are currently 2,382,064 cases in the world right now, 164,937 deaths. The uh, plurality of those deaths are in Italy, 23,660 deaths in Italy, Spain, France, the United Kingdom, trail them. And number five is New York City, which has more deaths than many countries. They have more deaths than Iran, Germany, the Hubei province of China, Netherlands, and Belgium. 14,451 deaths right now in in New York City. In terms of cases, the United States is leading by far. Right now in Spain, there are 196,664, Italy 178,000, France 150,000, and the United States has 755,533 cases. So there are insanely high amounts of cases in the United States compared to uh, the rest of the world. But the good news is, in terms of the holistic existence of this virus within the United States, um, the the number of cases overall is sort of plateauing nationally uh, because of social distancing and other measures that have been recommended by uh, state and local governments and also the experts that, you know, are involved in this entire thing. Uh, The most important thing, though, remains to stay inside, to not spread the virus, to socially distance. Next to that, the most important thing is to be grateful to doctors, nurses, and others who are literally risking their lives every single day to keep the world going and to uh, save others during this very scary time. 
um, I, I suppose something that you that you would look to during these t this time and some sort of the root of what a purported solution would be is the federal government. Um, and as of recent, I think that actually the federal government response, at least in my view, has changed a lot uh, in the past couple of weeks. Um, I think right now the federal government could be doing a lot worse than they are. So in other words, they are objectively doing well in terms of getting equipment to states on a large scale and you know what they're doing to help businesses and individuals who need the help, especially if you include Congress in the uh, equation. I think seeing the bipartisanship that has existed on Capitol Hill is actually very good. A lot of the people who brag about the bipartisanship are the problem in the bipartisanship, but uh, they are... Washington is actually doing well in terms of uh, Capitol Hill right now, in my opinion, and that's something I rarely will ever say, uh, but I, I think they the, the speediness of which they got the stimulus bill passed together, um, and, and you know I thought that was good, and I thought that how the president signed it extremely quickly was also very good. It's very much a bipartisan thing. That's why it worked. Um, but as I was reading about the federal government getting all the news uh, gathered for this episode, I've learned that you sort of, when I talk about this, I have to categorize the president as something different from the federal government during this, you know, crises like this, because the president places so much value on such insignificant things uh, as of recent and in generally that it would be, in my opinion, accurate to constantly bash him being the head of the federal government. So, uh, you know, and to say that my negative opinion of his character and his sort of demonstrated beliefs are larger, largely indicative of, um, you know, what I, the larger efforts that the federal government is putting forward. So in other and more distressing terms, what the president does and says versus what the federal government does and says are two very different things. Uh, so, therefore, it is unfair to, you know, uh, group the president and the um, federal government as one single entity because they're very, two very different things. And that's not good, but it makes, it, it's, sort, it's better than them both being bad because I think the federal government and the people that, that are, you know, uh, making it work are doing much, much better than the president himself is actually doing. Um, so when we talk about the federal government and coronavirus, apart from the president, it is important to note that almost always we are talking about the delegation to states of personal protective equipment on a very large scale, which can prove hard if and when the head of the federal government, the president, doesn't like the governors or if the governors don't like the president. I mean, because regardless, both of their, they have something in common. Both of their constituents are dying and or have coronavirus on a large scale. Um, it's in every single U.S. state, and there, it's very important for governors and presidents to work together. It's very important for just the natural sort of flow of federal-state relationship, regardless of all the you know part partisanship. It's very important to understand that uh, that this is crucial. That the uh, federal and state relationships are really crucial in these sorts of times, especially when the president has all the money, when the federal government has all the money. Uh, so the problems that often surface when talking about these sorts of issues, federal versus state, is the cross between private and public business. This has been very much recently in the headlines as sort of, um, we figured the mess out a little bit. At least we figured out a solution. Back last, well, I would say two weeks ago, uh, maybe three, definitely three weeks ago, maybe one week ago, the federal government was still in sort of panic mode. They were, the, the whole government, the whole world was in panic mode. Now, I think the general public, including myself and everyone, has sort of figured out that, okay, it's bad, but we sort of have a solution. And it's not, even if you don't know what that solution is, there's more of a calm tone in the way that things are happening because everyone sort of settled down. And the good news is that there are statistics that show that social distancing is working, that there you know, it's, it, if people continue to do what they're doing, that there are bright days ahead. And I think um, 
one thing that's sort of been in, that's happened as a result of that is the dispute between private and public businesses. Private private businesses are relaxed because they want to continue their existence. They want to sell products, especially, and you know they know that governments will pay lots of money when they're in crisis and when their citizens are dying. Um, and especially when it, it really becomes a problem when when there's foreign exchanges. We'll talk about that in a second. But the governments need masks and all personal protective equipment right now to keep their people safe. The entire job of the federal government, as I said, is infrastructure and the delegation of infrastructure to states. So the mask makers need money to keep their business alive, and the governments need masks to keep their people safe. Because the need for masks is so high right now, the price of the mask has gone up. It's simple supply and demand, just like a capitalist market. But the problem that we're seeing right now, the liability that that the government is incurring is when the transactions become multinational, and that's the 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 the, uh, the deal that's happening right now. The transactions are multinational, and and you know that brings on a lot of liability. When you know from the United States perspective, the supplier is an unverified foreign country, and the demander from the company's perspective is a well-known foreign country. It can quickly become very sketchy. I mean, it's a f- sketchy. It's a foreign country. A well-known foreign country and an unverified foreign country uh, company. That's what's being written about in the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal today uh, or yesterday. But that is what happens in times of desperation. There's an article in the Wall Street Journal today uh, yesterday that said that the federal government, continuing to scramble for to find N95 masks to protect healthcare workers from the coronavirus infection, has placed more than 110 million dollars worth of mask orders at high prices with unproven vendors, according to a WSJ. Um, review of federal contracting data. Of the more than 20 million N95 masks the government has ordered for full delivery by the end of May, at least 80% were ordered from suppliers that either had never done business with the federal government or had only taken on small prior contracts that did not include medical supplies, according to the data. Some of the the vendors uh, have already missed delivery deadlines or have backed out because of supply problems. The parent company of one supplier is in bankruptcy, and its owners have been accused of fraud in multiple lawsuits by multiple business partners. So there are people, you know, the government is totally desperate right now because, first of all, we talked about this uh, last week or the week before. The federal stockpile is either it's empty now or it was nearly empty. Um, There were good news in terms of ventilators. The as of recent, New York did deliver, or the federal government did get a lot of ventilators. There was a lot of concern about that. It seemed to work out. But um, the federal government is scrambling to find more because the, you know, whether Trump or anyone of the White House likes to admit it, uh, we're in desperation mode right now and we need help from, uh, you know, wherever we can get it from. And that's what's happening right now. And it's sort of when when the only people that you have to deal with, that only the only people left are just not proven to be the highest caliber of existence and the highest caliber of, um, you know, business partners and highest caliber of honesty, really, uh, then it looks like you have to go for them. And that's what the United States government seems to be doing right now on quite the large scale, just, and they're only doing it because people are dying and because the coronavirus is so prevalent. I mean, the same th- Russia did the same. I mean, it's sort of the same logic. And when Russia delivered all those masks through a plane in New York, that uh, new uh, let's see yeah the United States bought a bunch of masks from Russia and Russia delivered them on a big plane you're sort of dealing with not exactly the most honest people in the world but you have to do that in times of desperation especially when they have the gold and you do not the Washington Post has also written about the country trans- uh, country to country mask transfers and the value of the overall mask market 
uh, stating that in just two months, the value of protective masks and related items exported from the United States to China grew more than 1,000% compared to the same time last year, from $1.4 million to about $17.6 million, according to a Washington Post analysis of customs categories, which, according to research by Public Citizen, contained key personal protective equipment. Similarly, shipments of ventilators and protective garments jumped by triple digits. So the value, these, I mean, is it price gouging? Maybe in certain cases, but the overall mask market, if you want to call it that, is growing rapidly. The Washington Post article goes on to say that while the percentage increase of exports to China was steep, they represent a small fraction of the overall U.S. need. Throughout the country, the shortage has forced hospitals, nursing homes, and first responders to ration masks and other protective gear as they treat infected and high-risk patients, creating a secondary health crisis among first-line providers. Again, this rationing idea, because of the market being so volatile within um, you know, masks and the, the amount of, really, it's the speed of what you can get them to someone. People are literally rationing masks right now out of fear that, you know, maybe, you know, if a doctor can save five people, uh, they'd rather give the, doc- the the mask to a doctor or the ventilator to a doctor or a garment to a doctor rather than, you know, just some patient that will die. I mean, it's a very scary, very, very deep and dark sort of moral issues that, that arise when talking about this. Washington Post has a fabulous graph that you can look in terms of uh, how much money uh, or how much the U.S. exported in millions of dollars in personal protective equipment to China in February. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the numbers, but it's a very interesting uh, graph. We'll have it on the website. You can find it on the show notes at jay-dohery.com slash 133. Let's move on uh, and continue with, with uh, masks and personal protective equipment. It's certainly a large issue, and it's help, and it's it's uh, very much... Um, a big, big issue with coronavirus. The mask and the personal protective equipment infrastructure has proven to be quite the point of interest for the government in these last days, and we saw that last week. I talked about in episode number 132. I think what what we have to continue doing, and what what we we also have to sort of refresh our idea our ideologies on, is that we have to take into account how the basic structure of government and partisanship is impacting what the president is doing and how he's working with others. Um, you know, we will get to the relatively unimportant nonsense that the president has been spewing recently in one second. But I first have to think, I first have to say that I think it's important to note that the president and New York Governor Andrew Cuomo have been working surprisingly well together. Right now, New York has just an insane amount of cases, or an insane amount of deaths as well. I mean, it is very, very scary. The United States leads in deaths, and there's currently... Um, about 14,451 deaths in New York, and they're quickly growing. New York is the home of Donald Trump, and New York is the home of Andrew Cuomo. They know, they've known each other for a while. They're friends. Uh, Andrew Cuomo very you know, willingly went into public service immediately. Donald Trump did not. They are just sort of classic New Yorkers, and it, it's an interesting battle. I mean, I talked about this last week. Donald Trump is sort of a businessman, uh, businessman <laughs> in quotes, um, reality TV star that sort of went into politics for an ad for as an ad for himself, and as a Republican, by the way. And Andrew Cuomo is sort of a dynasty Democrat, um, and sort of, sort of a, an interesting divide. And Cuomo is in the middle of a grueling situation, but in my opinion, his willingness to just blatantly and outwardly put politics aside has allowed New York to work very efficiently and very effectively with the federal government despite their initial hiccups. 
Um, there, and there were a lot of hiccups back in the day, or back early when when the federal government had to work with New, with New York. I mean, back when the president said he wanted to reopen the country by Easter, which <laughs> evidently did not work out, he was in quite the spat with Governor Cuomo. I mean, on that day, he was he was bashing him on that same Fox News uh, virtual town hall. Uh, but it seems that, uh, you know, at least Governor Cuomo has publicly worked out their disagreements. Uh, everything you're about to hear, I'm going to play a clip here. Uh, everything you're about to hear from the president in this clip has been debunked as misleading from the president uh, by a nonpartisan, not-for-profit organization called factcheck.org. So uh, we're going to play this clip here. It's a little bit that I created of just some spats that Cuomo and Trump have worked out, I suppose. I mean, I suppose, I, I think the... You know they've they've worked out they've worked out their issues publicly and uh, the, all that matters to Cuomo is that uh, which is good all that matters to Cuomo is that um, you know the gear the stuff that his that he needs the stuff that his state needs is getting to him all that matters to the president is all this irrelevant nonsense and you'll hear that in just one second we're going to take a break um, this is the Jay Doherty podcast. Here's a little bit that I made of Cuomo and Trump. This is the Jay Ward Podcast. This says uh, New York Governor Cuomo rejected buying recommended 16,000 ventilators in 2015 for the pandemic, for a pandemic. Established death panels and lotteries instead. So he had a chance to buy in 2015 16,000 ventilators at a very low price and he turned it down. The president is also watching this press conference. He tweeted 13 minutes ago, Quote, Governor Cuomo should spend more time doing and less time complaining. First of all, if he's sitting home watching TV, maybe he should get up and go to work, right? We delivered 4,000 ventilators to New York to their warehouse, which happens to be located, which is interesting, in Edison, New Jersey. Uh, it was signed off, they were delivered, and they weren't used. And we said a number of days later, why aren't you using these ventilators? I don't know what happened, but we delivered thousands of them. He wants to say, well, I did enough. Yeah, none of us have done enough. We have a lot more to do. And no one can take the posture, well, just say thank you for what I've done, and I'm now out. I'm not doing anything else. I've done my part. He's doing nothing. The president was apparently irked by Cuomo's briefing today, saying Cuomo should spend more time doing and less time complaining. Get out there and get the job done. Stop talking. Well, if he's sitting home watching TV, maybe he should get up and go to work, right? Ah, those are the good, funny, funny times of Mr. Andrew Cuomo and Mr. Donald J. Trump. You know, it's just it's just an interesting time, and I think what is really, really important is to observe how these guys are working together. It was not, there were a bunch of hiccups, as you saw there, but behind the scenes, it or not even behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, if you look at the objective facts, how the federal government is transferring supplies to New York, they're actually doing a very good job. Trump has nothing to do with that. I mean, absolutely, you can tell by his rhetoric he has nothing to do with that. Cuomo's just responding to the attacks that Trump has made against him uh, in that clip and in many others. And by the way, all the stuff that Trump just said in that clip was officially debunked by a nonpartisan, not-for-profit, so as misleading. So uh, none of the stuff that he said there was fully true. Um, but, you know, as Cuomo admits, the states that, you know, this, the states really need the federal government right now. They actually need two things from the federal government, he says. Funding and testing. Funding for things that they need for coronavirus uh, and, you know, actually emergency funds that will be transferred from the federal government to the states. And then testing, because they need test kits at a very large scale, something only the infrastructure for the federal government could uh, provide. You know, 
we're seeing more than ever right now that he who has the gold makes the rules. The federal government has the gold, and they are the one making the rules when it comes to this sort of thing. Here's uh, Governor Cuomo the other day stating, actually, in fact, that uh, his state needs more than anything those two things from the federal government. All I'm saying is there's two things they need help from. They need help from the federal government. Two things. Help on testing, because states can't do that. And I don't want to redo the mayhem of the PP debacle. Second point, we need funding to do it. How many times do you want me to say thank you? But I'm saying thank you for doing your job. This was your role as president. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point, because Trump seems to have this constant need to be thanked. And perhaps it goes along with his ego. I don't know. But, uh, you know, the federal government is doing a good job. And again, I'm, I'm saying that only objectively and apart from the president. I don't mean to backtrack, but what I'm saying is <laughs> that the federal government and Trump are two extremely different things right now. Uh, and that's sort of what's happening right now. But other than that, uh, you know, there hasn't been much development in infrastructure, uh, you know, in the infrastructure land, other than statistics and updates, which show some some good news in terms of plateauing case numbers and hotspots like New York. In fact, the New York Times um, had an article that said, that was talking about what Cuomo said. Um, in fact, this one says that Governor Andrew M. Cuomo arrived to his daily coronavirus briefing in Albany, New York this Saturday with cautionary good news. The state has continued to make progress in its battle with a virus that has killed more than 13,000 residents, now more than 14,500, which is enough people to populate in an upstate small city. Cuomo said that if you look at the past three days, you could argue that we are not that we are past the plateau and we're starting to descend. So we're not at the plateau anymore, but we're still not in a good position. That's good news, and hopefully that continues. And that is just reflective of how well the social distancing and the measures that have been put into place by the government is actually working. Mr. Cuomo announced the state's daily death toll from the virus has fallen down to 540, down from 630 a day earlier. It was the lowest daily number in more than two weeks. So that is good, and we're seeing other states that are populous like New York, or uh, with large populations like New York, that are uh, sort of feeling the same things, which is really good. Mr. Cuomo also warned that the health crisis was far from over, according to this New York Times article. On Friday alone, about 2,000 people were admitted to city hospitals with COVID-19 symptoms, which is a number similar to what hospitals were seeing as the pandemic began in late March, or began to peak in in late March. The death toll included 504 people who have died in city hospitals and 36 others in nursing homes, which has come under scrutiny for not offering transparency to government officials and families of victims. The home, uh, the homes have struggled with testing and a lack of staffing. So there's certainly still a problem, but in terms of death numbers, which of course New York is infamously extremely high on right now, and that's only really due to the density of their population, um, that's what we're seeing right now, and we're seeing sort of the, the plateau in terms of death numbers, but uh, relative spike in terms of, not spike, but relative uh, upkeep of the high numbers in terms of admission to hospitals. So in terms of coronavirus cases and statistical updates, that's all the news we have uh, this week, but I do want to move on to sort of the separate thing in the, in the, in the government right now, and that, of course, is the president. It's the it's half the federal government and half the president. Two very different issues. I mentioned this briefly before, but the president is really not doing too well with this pandemic, in my opinion. I think what the federal government uh, is doing right now is objectively good, as I said before, and it's helping the states a lot. But that is because, and only because, smart people informed by medical decisions and facts are actually instructing people with infrastructure and governmental power to work with states in forming a plan. None of that has to do with the president. 
Neither the giving or the receiving ends of those inner workings involve the president, and the reason is because, once again, President Trump is placing too much value on irrelevant things. Every single time. He's, like, throughout this entire thing, he's, except for when it peaked and he actually started to take it serious, which was, like, three weeks too late, um, and I don't, I'm not just saying this to bash the president over and over, I'm very seriously saying that he took way too late to actually address this as a serious thing. He called it a democratic hoax. He said it was their new hoax. He said first it was Russia, then it was impeachment, now it's this. I mean, that's just not true. Another thing he recently did, and we talked about this last week, was he was comparing his daily coronavirus press briefing ratings, which... Of course, he's supposed to do, and one of the good things his administration is doing, I must admit, having those daily briefings. But yeah, he very idiotically compared his daily coronavirus press briefings to the ratings of The Bachelor and also bashed the New York Times and also said that his press conference ratings are better than Monday Night Football press ratings. Listen to this. It's like if they don't want to watch, they shouldn't watch. And we shouldn't have bigger ratings than The Bachelor or, as The New York Times said, we have Monday Night Football type ratings. Now, I didn't say that. I have no idea what... They are, in a sense, but I know that the Times, they say it's all the news that's fit to print. I say it's all the news that's not fit to print. Such an intellect. It is amazing. They uh, are not honest people, but that's okay. But they can't help it. But even they said that the ratings are like Monday night football ratings and that these are like bachelor finale. That's their end. When the big deal happened, I have no idea what happened because I'm too busy working on this. Somebody will tell me what happened. Okay, so, I mean, just, just listen, the president is up there during a, war, like, a glo- I know this sounds redundant, but a global pandemic where, th- like, tens of thousands of his own citizens are dying, hundreds of thousands are infected, and he's comparing his press conference ratings to uh, The Bachelor. And the other thing is that people are not tuning in to the president because they care about what he looks like or what he has to say. They're, they're tuning in to his press conferences because they are scared for their lives. And playing all these clips and stuff is not just to bash the president aimlessly. I mean, I, I'm very careful about what I do and do not say. I think the actual existence of his coronavirus press briefings uh, are really good. Uh, and the fact that they are doing those every single day, including weekends, is very important. But what I am saying is that the guy is not focusing on the right things right now. It's particularly him. The people he's appointed, even Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo, they're doing a decent job right now communicating with the public. They're being very robotic and very straightforward, and that's exactly what we, we, we need right now in terms of crisis. I mean, people are dying. People have lost their jobs. The economy is losing rapidly. We're in a really tough t- time right now. So Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Brooks, and many others in the federal government uh, are presumably working their tails off in public and beyond behind the scenes. Um, right now. And I think, you know, when the president goes out there and compares his ratings to, uh, you know, to The Bachelor, it's really not important. And it's it's just so irrelevant. It, it really, in my opinion, it diminishes the work that the people that he, that, you know, work below him are actually doing. I mean, people are literally out there. They're experts fighting this thing right now. And he's out there spewing about his, his TV ratings. And it's just insane. But, uh, yeah, people are not tuning into his press conferences to see him. They're tuning into his press conferences because they're scared for their lives. Um, and in, I, I just think the other thing that we have to remember is, I'm not saying this only about Trump. I'm saying this about lots of Washington politicians, but probably more so Trump than anyone, because I do think that there are a lot. there's lots of ego in Washington. Obviously, there's lots of ego in many industries, just generally speaking, like in media, like in politics, generally speaking, there's a lot of ego. Uh, But the president seems to have this sort of odd obsession with himself to sort of promote himself and to be known. I think that's really what it comes down to. He wants to be known. Um, And that's not an uncommon thing, but I think the way that he is sitting in the Oval Office right now 
and the fact that he wants everyone to constantly know that it's him that's doing good things is very dangerous and something that can very easily be conflated when you do something bad. And that's a very general statement, but I want to bring to your attention bring attention to something a little bit more specific. It goes along this whole statement that I'm saying goes along with the same lines as some reports that are saying that Trump's name will appear on the stimulus checks that are going on right now. Remember we talked about the congressional stimulus that passed like trillions of dollars worth of stuff. It's a six trillion dollar total bill, two point two trillion dollars to Americans and businesses and industries and the economy overall. Trump wants his name to go on some checks that will appear on the stimulus checks. That's what he, he hasn't said that he specifically wants his name to be on there, but he, he did hear reports, and that seems to be what the case is right now. In fact, a report from USA Today, which is uh, considered unbiased, I believe, by an institute that did a review of um, news publications, they say, uh, when Americans receive their anxiously awaited checks from the federal government, which are being sent out to help mitigate the economic hardships caused by the coronavirus outbreak, they may notice the words President Donald J. Trump have been added at the bottom. Trump suggested to Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin that the idea of adding his signature to the $1,200 paper checks and the department agreed on Monday to add his printed name, but not his actual autograph. Okay, so they came to a compromise. It was Trump probably was like, I want everyone, to, you know, these stimulus checks, these, this is my new ad, free ad. We're going to use the Postal Service and we're going to use the Treasury Department. I don't need a campaign office anymore. These, tr these, these paper checks will be my new, my new handouts, my new flyers for my campaign. The Treasury Department confirmed to USA Today on Wednesday that Trump's name would be on the checks, but claimed affixing it would not delay to the, the delivery of payments, even though I think some support reports suggested that they could delay the delivery of those payments. An official said that uh, the Treasury and the IRS officials have worked hard around the clock to get fast and direct economic assistance to hardworking Americans and said the quick turnaround was a quote-unquote major achievement, which it was. They had a crazy great turnaround, actually better than expected. Steve Mnuchin was out there two weeks ago, or one week ago, saying that they were one week early on the coronavirus. It was two weeks after he said that it would be three weeks. There's a lot of numbers here, but Mnuchin basically uh, said before that uh, the checks would take two weeks to, or three weeks to come, but it actually ended up being two weeks to come for people who have direct deposit accounts, but it's still going to be even longer for people who don't have that, and you actually, they they have to mail the checks to the people um, that need these most. But anyway, I, I just think it's nuts that he want, that Trump wants his name on, on the <laughs> congressional stimulus checks. I mean, stimuluses have been, they're sort of a hope, thankfully they're a rarity, but Stimuluses have existed and have been signed by an elected president by a way of a process that has been use, been in use for hundreds of years. So why is Trump's name going to suddenly be on it, especially if delays in the distribution, um, you know, of the checks could be delayed? Trump he, Trump actually said he knows quote unquote very little about what the checks will actually have on them. But I mean, come on. I mean, at what point are you going to check your ego at the door and put you know dying people who are losing their jobs rapidly first, Mr. President? I mean, it's just crazy. Similarly, but in, in, you know, and far more seriously, the president debuted a campaign-esque ad that was purportedly created by the White House media team, which showed Trump's words and actions throughout the coronavirus pandemic's uh, reach in the United States, again, sort of boosting his ego and reinforcing the message of fake news and all this nonsense. You can watch the dramatic video that certainly feels like an ad and maybe even propaganda, but was made with tax-paying American money in the office of a government building. Here's a part of the ad. You can watch the full thing if you are so inclined, but here's just part of it. Yeah. 
it sounds like campaign music, well, right? We've asked them to accelerate whatever they're doing in terms of a vaccine. And it's going through we a timeline right now. All travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. To unleash the full power of the federal government in this effort today, I am officially declaring a national emergency. Medicare patients can now visit any doctor by phone or video conference at no additional cost. And it was clear that it was... Okay, so that sounds very, very much like a campaign ad, right? Uh, and it goes on, it, you know, it shows the, the, the president was actually someone who was uh, acting and, and, and people said that there wasn't going to be anything done, but the president actually did. Now, that was the ad that he played. He made this with taxpaying dollars. He did this, you know, in a, in a federal government building. And it was actually asked, it was very clearly presented itself as a campaign advertisement, so much so that a reporter actually asked the president who ended up, or who actually produced that ad. Was it his campaign team? This is what uh, was asked to the president. I've never seen a video like that played in, in this room. Uh, it looks a, a bit like a campaign ad. Who, who produced that video for you? Uh, that was done by a group in the office, and it was done just by, we just put some clips together. I could give you... Uh, I'll bet you I have over 100 more clips, even better than them. They were just pieced together over the last two hours. That was just, oh, we have far better than that. That's nothing compared to some of them. This was produced here in the White House. Yeah, this was done by uh, Dan and a group of people, and they just put it together in a period of probably less than two hours. Why did you feel need to do that? Because uh, we're getting fake news, and I like to have it corrected. Uh, They're saying what a great job we're doing. And the media, these are the governors of California, governor of New Jersey, governor of New York. Look, in New York, we work very close with Andrew. I mean, does that sound like campaign music? I think that sounds like campaign music. And then it goes into a timeline of what he's done. Well, we've asked them to accelerate whatever they... Okay. I mean, it's just insane. Like, that, that is very clearly a campaign ad. He could have just, like, put in, you know, clip after clip. But instead, there's dramatic lighting and there's a vignette with all this text and then there's all the music behind it. It's just crazy. The other thing is, I mean, I was just looking at the White House YouTube channel. They have his, on their YouTube banner, they have a picture of him waving to the American public off of Air Force One. I, I don't think that is a good symbolic message for the American people. It should be an American flag or something. I mean, the purpose of democracy and the, the foundation of America, at least from what I've observed, is that you put the country above everything, above any one person. And I think to have a big banner of a leader that will be ousted one day inevitably, even if it's not in his next term, you know, it, it's something that, in my opinion, is a little bit scary and a little bit uh, not exactly aligning with, with uh, American values, but rather aligning with the president's values. Uh, at the end of uh, the clip, he also mentioned Andrew Cuomo, which you just heard, the New York governor at the end of that. And Andrew Cuomo has not been uh, silent about, you know, how the federal government has helped his state. He's actually been pretty vocal. He he said in the beginning before, um, you know, this entire thing happened that if, I think he actually said to the president himself, if you deliver for my state, I'll say it. If you don't, I'll say it. They, um, you know, the federal government has delivered for his state. Big time, because they have to. It's their job. But politically, Cuomo has actually been very vocal about how positively the federal government has helped his state out big time. Even he, he was even mildly complimentary towards the president. Remember, Cuomo is a dynasty Democrat going up against a, you know, a new coming Republican. He was on Howard Stern's radio show the other day where uh, he said this about the president and the federal government's efforts overall. I've never yeah. seen a video like that. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong clip. Here it is. I don't talk to Trump every single day, but I do talk to him when I need to talk to him, which is at least several times a week. And for those people who don't know the backdrop here, 
there's been no governor in the nation who's fought as much with Trump as I have. And that's okay. We're both New Yorkers. We speak our mind. And if we uh, have to disagree, we disagree. But during this, I said from the get-go, this is not about politics. It's not about personalities. We have to be better than that for the jobs we do. And I put my hand out in partnership to work with you, and we'll call it straight. And if you do the right thing by New York, I'll say it. And if you don't, I'll say it. Since then, Howard, he has been good in delivering for New York. He has delivered for New York. The Army Corps of Engineers, we built thousands of beds. He sent the uh, Navy ship Comfort to New York. He has delivered for New York. It's not perfect, you know. It's what relationship is perfect. And look, there are incidents even during this where he has taken shots at me and I have taken shots at him. Not gratuitous shots, but by and large, it has worked. Okay, so that is actually very true. I could not have said, I mean, Cuomo is clearly a very effective communicator. He was extremely honest. He was saying, look, Trump is actually doing a decent job, or at least the federal government, which is led by him, at least, you know, semantically it is led by him, uh, and he's doing a good job. But that that's what he says there. And he also admits that they have had some public tension. So... I mean, if the president was as clear of a communicator as Cuomo and sort of put his ego a little bit to the side, at least, you know, on a very small scale, I think that would be very helpful and be much proven to be much needed during these times. So that's what's happening with New York and state-to-state relationships at the moment. Let's move on to the economy right now. Stock numbers right now uh, are, of course, we're we're nowhere near recovering fully from the initial stock market falls that the coronavirus, you know, incurred. The Dow Jones right now is up uh, 3%. S&P 500 up to 2.68%, NASDAQ up 1.38% on the day from the market close on Friday, but that doesn't really do much to say those numbers because uh, there is still much to go, still much to regain. An article from the New Yorker yesterday by John Cassidy said that stock market posted in another strong performance on Friday with the Dow Jones Industrial Average rising more than 700 points. It now has regained about half of the losses it suffered between late February and late March as the death toll from the coronavirus mounted and great swaths of the economy were closed down. Indeed, the market's uh, is only getting about 18% below its all-time peak, which came on February 12th. Investors were reaching, or sorry, reacting to some encouraging news about a possible treatment for pre- people hospitalized with COVID-19 and the prospect of, of uh, parts of the economy reopening soon. On Friday, Texas announced that the uh, lifting of some restrictions, and Michigan's Governor Gretchen Whitmer expressed that hope that uh, some of her state's economy could quote-unquote re-engage as early as May 1st. I hope that doesn't happen for people's safety. Just got to put that out there. But thing is, all this stuff about reopening and getting the people actually going into stores, buying things, regardless of health concerns, really helps the economy out and it really boosts it. And that's not good. You don't want to give a false sense of hope in a volatile economy. But that seems to be what's happening right now. And I really hope people don't go out until there's a vaccine. And I really hope people are very much, uh, you know, re- socially distance until there is a proven treatment or a proven vaccine for this entire virus. New Yorker says that these developments came a day after the White House released a set of quote-unquote guidelines for reopening the economy, which in, uh, which envision a three-stage process with states moving from one stage to the next as they meet various gating criteria, as the White House calls it, relating to the incidence of the virus, testing capacity, and hospital capacity. So the federal government is sort of giving instructions about what to do with certain states, and that's good. The states need those guidance, and this is where I say that the federal government is actually doing well. I mean, they're doing really well at least the federal, I mean, the White House put that statement out. 
I don't give any credit to the president for that because I don't think it was his idea, and I don't think he had any idea of how it was planned or what he did. But I think the federal government is doing well. I think the coronavirus task force is generally made up of good people. There are some not good people on it. We talked about Peter Navarro the other day and some others who have contradicted actual and legitimate medical experts. But uh, other than that, there are uh, they're doing all right, and they've done actually much much better in the past in like the last two weeks than they've ever done before. The other thing that where federal government is, the economy and the federal government sort of intersect is stim- stimulus checks. They're going out right now. We talked about Trump's name trying to be on those stimulus checks before. Um, and that's good that the, the, the checks are going out right now. People are receiving them. Uh, I've heard lots of news about uh, you know everyday Americans who are receiving them. If you have received a stimulus check, let me know. We'll have you on the show maybe at 312-625-8492. You can email also comments at j-story.com if you wish. Uh, and we'll have you uh, on the show or you can at least share your story, text it in or email it or call it. And leave a voicemail at 312-625-8492, open 24-7. Just to remind you, um, perhaps you are still receiver awaiting your stimulus check or you don't even know what the qualifications are. According to the Washington Post, which is sort of a reiteration from what we've been talking about for quite some time, if you earn less than $75,000 or you and your spouse collectively make less than $150,000, you'll get $1,200 for each of you plus $500 for each child you have under 17. Those amounts are reduced for people with higher incomes and individuals with uh, $99,000 in earnings or $198,000 for a couple. They get nothing. Even if they have children, you must have a social security number to be eligible for the payment, which will not be taxed. Um, an expert says that 93% of all tax filers will get some sort of benefit with about 140 million of them getting the full amount. Seniors uh, whose only income is from Social Security and veterans who rely solely on disability payments will also receive the payments. And so uh, that that's good and sounds great, but you cannot receive the benefits if you're 17 or 18 years old. You can't receive the benefits if uh, you know if you're a college student between most college students between the age of 19 and 23. There's sort of a more complicated layout of how that works. So you can find it uh, on j-dory.com. Adults who can be claimed as dependents cannot receive it. Non-resident aliens or people who don't have a green card cannot receive it. Estates or things that can be claimed as estates cannot <laughs> receive it. Individuals who earn more than ninety-nine thousand, or married couples who are earning more than one hundred ninety-eight thousand, cannot be cannot receive it. And uh, people who haven't filed their twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen tax returns can also not receive it. So that's currently what's happening, and that's how things are working in the financial stimulus in the uh, the actual economy overall right now. So that's what where it stands. There's really not much not relative to last week. I mean, there's a lot of news that we just talked about, but there's not much news relative to previous weeks about uh, what's been happening uh, with coronavirus specifically. And we're going to continue to keep you updated. We'll have live updates at j-story.com for the latest on coronavirus. You can always sign up for the newsletter at jay-doty.com/newsletter. But yeah, that's that's all the coronavirus news that we have right now. We're going to move on to uh, some 2020 news. Joe Biden has now a clear path to the Democratic nomination. This obviously happened uh, last week, but we did not talk about it because coronavirus just consumed the headlines. But I'm going to talk about it right now. Bernie Sanders waited until basically the last possible minute <laughs> to, uh, to, to drop out of the race and give it to Joe Biden. Which is funny because, you know, he thought he could make it for so long, uh, he very clearly couldn't. And so that's sort of funny that he did that, but it's also bad because he made the primaries in states that he was definitely not going to win still go on during a worldwide pandemic and risking everyone's lives when literally every single imaginable poll in the week leading up to his dropout said that Joe Biden was the definite nominee. He sort of pulled an Elizabeth Warren where he dropped out of the race, um, you know, like later than possibly him potentially even winning. I mean, he was the only Democrat left. 
uh, right now. So this occurrence was sort of inevitable. But the reaction is really what I'm interested in. I mean, because we knew Joe Biden was going to drop out and we knew that this was going to happen. But the reaction from others is really what we're interested in. Of course, expectedly, Barack Obama came out and endorsed Joe the second Bernie dropped out, leaving him absolutely no choice. So that's sort of interesting. Here's what uh, Obama had a longer message, but he said that he's proud to endorse Joe Biden. Here's uh, what he said in, in, in a video that he put out on Twitter. And that's why I'm so proud to endorse Joe Biden for president of the United States. So that clip sounds a little bit out of context right there because he says, and that's why I'm so proud. But whoever wrote Obama's script purposefully uh, used a bunch of anaphoras and semicolons to make it possible for the me- to make it impossible for the media to grab a mere soundbite like I just did and played it. But that's okay. It's just clever politics, and I don't want to give an ad to Joe Biden any more than I've already done. Uh, Bernie Sanders also endorsed Joe Biden as well. Here's Bernie saying uh, he's actually on a sort of a call with Joe Biden. Here's what he said. We've got to make Trump a one-term president, uh, and we need you in in the White House. So I will do uh, all that I can uh, to see that that happens, Joe. And and I know that there is an enormous responsibility on your shoulders right now. Uh, And uh, it's imperative that all of us work together uh, to do what has to be done, not only in this moment, but beyond this moment in the future of this country. Okay, so you can see, actually, Bernie Sanders, that was very natural. He was right off sort of the cuff. And Bernie Sanders, uh, regardless of what you think about his politics, I don't like him at all. I mean... Yeah, let's just say I don't like him at all. There are certain things that are that are all right, but I, I don't think that uh, his policies in any way would be feasible or scalable to America. Just anyway, that's a whole other issue. But the communication skills that he has are much better than Joe Biden's and by by large measure. Um, that was right off the cuff. Joe Biden responded with a very clearly scripted, teleprompted response that he was reading directly off a script. And that just didn't look good. I'm not going to play it because I it just is it's not good. But you know, I would just be natural, be off the cuff, and show that you're grateful for the endorsement that someone just gave you. Of course, endorsements, by the way, are just sort of an economic scam, especially if you're endorsing, if you're if you're a candidate and you drop out and you're in the same party and then you endorse the person, because a lot of time, by the Biden campaign is probably going to have to uh, incur all of the debt that the Sanders campaign um, ended up having, that, so they're going to transfer all the debt, so Joe Biden is the only nominee, and that's maybe why it took so long to begin with. We don't know, but that's sort of an insider thing, because uh, the reason that Bernie Sanders, you know, very proudly, end- or the, the reason that Joe Biden, no, sorry, the reason that Bernie Sanders proudly endorses Joe Biden is because, uh, number one, of course, he has to align with his party, number two, Joe Biden likely is going to incur Bernie Sanders' debt of his campaign if he has any. So, I mean, you know, that's what happens, and and it's just clever politics. I also want to point out that if Obama came out and endorsed Joe Biden much earlier, like in the primaries way before anything even happened, before South Carolina, before, I mean, when Pete Buttigieg was riding high with New Hampshire and Iowa, if, if, if Barack Obama came out and endorsed Joe Biden much earlier, when there were two prospective Democratic nominees, Biden would have the guaranteed place as the nominee of the Democratic Party, and Bernie would have probably dropped out a lot sooner. Uh, but more broadly, I think Joe Biden and Donald Trump are two people who are both unfit for office in very different ways. Donald Trump is just absolutely insane. <laughs> He's totally nuts. He says really stupid things on a regular basis, and he just lies perpetually. Joe Biden can barely string a sentence together, often forgets facts, and gaffs frequently, and he also picks arguments with voters cons- consistently. And one time attacked one on their physical appearance. I'm not saying that they're 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 not they're both like equally unintelligent or I mean I'm not attacking them in any way. I'm just saying like they're both 
unfit for office. I think Pete Buttigieg would be a better uh, alternative, even if he was had the same exact mindset and the same exact appearance and the same exact um, you know demeanor as Joe Biden. I just don't. I just think Joe Biden is just very not. He's just not with it all the way, and I think Donald Trump is also not with it in a way. But they're very different. I I honestly think that, and I'm not I'm not saying that to be mean to Joe Biden or to be insensitive to him, but I think his time has passed as a politician. I really do think so. He's almost 80 years old. He he has trouble speaking cohesively. He forgets a lot of facts all the times. He just gaffs frequently. The guy is just not fit for office, in my observation. I know many 80 year olds who can speak way more eloquent than he is and way more smarter than he is. And, you know, I just don't know if it, if his time is exactly the most relevant right now. Although he is way more fit than Trump. So I suppose that qualifies him, and therefore I would officially endorse Joe Biden if my if my opinion mattered anyway. But uh, the question really is, would I who would I rather have a president, um, Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Easily Joe Biden. The thing that I trust in Joe Biden is that he would probably trust others way more than Trump would and have way less of an insane ego than the, that of the current president. Uh, which would be ideal and much needed right now. I think Joe Biden would restore the moral compass of this country, obviously, way more than Donald Trump, and that is what we need right now. And to be honest, I think the con- the continuation of you know sort of a balance between uh, health care for all and no health care at all, you know, just the, you know, it's private industry taking over everything. I think the Affordable Care Act does that. I think Pete Buttigieg had the best health care plan to begin with. Hopefully, Joe Biden involves Pete Buttigieg, maybe Amy Klobuchar in his administration. I'd be very, just to remind you, if you don't remember, uh, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar were both former uh, candidates. Pete Buttigieg was the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Amy Klobuchar was the um, uh, senator in Minnesota. And uh, that's what's happening right now. And I think that really Joe Biden, hopefully he will put very smart people that are way more youthful, way more energetic, way more engaging and way more smart than he is in positions to run his administration, because that that is where we'll see the true strength of a leader. If you appoint good people, you appoint appoint smart people, then that is uh, where you see strength in Washington. You see strength in leaders in any situation. So. It'll be really interesting to see, um, you know, how Joe Biden and Donald Trump react to each other. And it'll be really interesting, actually, more so to see how the coronavirus impacts the election overall. So we'll see how all that works out. We'll see exactly uh, what happens with the 2020 election. Of course, the, the primaries were sort of uh, delayed in many states as a result of coronavirus. Perhaps that will continue and hopefully not into the general election for too much longer. But it's certainly a feasible thing to expect. And uh, we're going to be monitoring all, all of it for you right here on the Jay Doherty Podcast. This is episode number 133 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. The phone number for this podcast is 312-625-8492. You can receive emails and newsletter updates every single week at jay-doherty.com slash newsletter. See video of the show on YouTube. Read and listen to show notes and episode highlights at jay-doherty.com. Clips and highlights at thedohertyfiles.com. This has been a JD Media Network production. Thanks for listening. Written, hosted,
hosted, produced, and edited by Jay Doherty. The Jay Doherty Podcast is recorded in the studios of the JD Media Network. The Jay Doherty Podcast is a JD Media Network production. Copyright Jay Doherty 2020. Make sure to listen to other JD Media Network productions like the JDRC Politics Podcast for discussions on international politics or the Weekly File Podcast for all the news, just the facts. Learn more and hear more of this content at j-doherty.com or view archive clips and show highlights at thedohertyfiles.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jay Doherty Podcast. For all the latest world and national news on technology, politics, and more, listen live to the Jay Doherty Podcast on j-doherty.com. Media Network.